Greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we do the second half of the show as dedicated to live comments and questions. However, we don't always have enough time to get around to all of the live questions that get sent in, but I want to make sure those questions get answered properly in a video so we gather up some of those unused questions and we address them here on companion videos. And there was a lot of questions coming in the last couple of days, so we've got a lot to get caught up on. Now, before we do a little bit of housekeeping, I want to remind you guys, if you haven't done so already, why don't you take a second and click on that subscribe button, become a subscriber to our YouTube channel. It'll keep you up to date on all the stuff that we've got going on here. Also, guys, want to let you know that, of course, the documentary Movie Trailers, A Love Story, our documentary, our feature-length documentary that we did on movie trailers, the history of movie trailers, the impact of movie trailers, the record setting of movie trailers, how they are important in the framework of the movie industry in and of itself. We've been working on it for over a year. It is now up and available and you can get it now wherever you live in the world worldwide. You can get it on Vimeo at Vimeo.com slash on demand slash movie trailers. So you can watch it there from anywhere in the world. But if you happen to live in the U.S. or the U.K., you can actually go to Amazon and go and get it on Amazon. And a lot of you guys already have. And a big, deep thank you to all of you guys who have. And thank you for all the terrific feedback as well. And for all those of you who will go and check it out, I hope you enjoy it. We put a lot of uh, work into this, and and uh, we love the topic, and I hope that you guys will too. Uh, also, uh, you know, we're back in lockdown pandemic. I uh I shouldn't show you. I get uh, this is called lockdown hair, ladies and gentlemen. This is Campion needs a haircut uh, kind of hair. That's where we're at right now. Uh, but at any rate, we got a whole bunch of questions to get to. So let's not waste any time and let's jump right into it, shall we? We're going to get things started off here with Chris, who writes, Hey, John, love all you do. Thank you so much. Uh, do you have any favorite David Fincher movies? Mine are uh, Zodiac, The Game, and The Social Network. Well, I mean, look, you talk about Fincher, you're talking about The Game with Michael Douglas is great, but you, you got to talk about Seven, right? You got to talk about Seven. Uh, recently, you know, Gone Girl was absolutely fantastic. You got to talk Social Network. You got to talk, um, I mean, there's a whole bunch of, you know what's funny? The odd thing is Zodiac, a lot of people talk about Zodiac as being one of their favorites. I'm actually not the biggest fan of Zodiac. I'm not the biggest fan of Zodiac, to be honest with you. It's probably one of my lesser favorite uh, Fincher movies. Of course, he just recently did Mank as well. Mank was really good. I don't think like best picture of the year or anything, but I thought Mank was really good. I loved his Mindhunter stuff. Mindhunter was crazy good. I love that. I... I mean, a lot of people will say seven, understandably so. The game is fantastic. I even like Panic Room, uh, the one he did with um, not not Julianne Moore. Uh, why am I forgetting who did Panic Room with him? And Kristen Stewart was actually the daughter in that as well. I like Panic Room. Forrest Whitaker was in that too, if I if I'm remembering correctly. I like that. I think for me, it would have to be either Social Network. Or Gone Girl. I mean, I loved, loved, loved Gone Girl. So for me, it would probably have to be one of those two. Anyway, thanks for sending that in, Chris. Uh, next up, Double Crit writes, On Melina, uh, confirmed for Spider-Man 3, bringing back Electro finally makes sense to me. Sony is using the best villains from each universe as representation. As much as Electro sucked, he was a god-tiered compared to Goblin Jr., Lizard, and Rhino. Am I right? I disagree. I think Lizard was a better villain than Electro was. I liked Lizard as a villain, to be honest with you. I really liked The Amazing Spider-Man 1, like a lot. I love that movie. 
Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man 2, significant drop in quality. But I and a part of that, look, Lizard wasn't the greatest villain. Don't get me wrong. He definitely had issues. But I thought he worked. Electro did not work. Um, so I'm not sure. But I'm sure that whatever story they wrote, Electro was the better character for it for this new Spider-Man. It just it just made it a better fit for whatever it is they're doing. So we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, that was really uh, listen. Jamie Foxx coming back as Electro is like one of the flat out biggest surprises ever in the history of movie news to me. It really is like I never would have I would have bet a million dollars against that happening. And yet here we are. But Molina was awesome. All right. Next up, uh, Logan James Kyniston writes, hey, John. What would you say is your favorite film from your least favorite genre? Huh? For me, it's Tim Burton's Sweeney Todd. I'm not a musical fan, but I love the story and the classic revenge turned tragedy trope. Also, I loved your documentary. Great work. Well, thank you so much for that, Logan. I appreciate that. I don't know that I have a least favorite genre. I mean, I, I really dig period piece. I mean, I definitely have my favorite genres, but I don't know if I have like a least favorite genre. Like period pieces, I can totally get into period pieces. Westerns, I can completely get into Westerns. Drama, thriller, horror. Like I'm not a major horror guy, but I like a good horror. Man, I don't know. Animation. I. It's a good question. I feel bad that I can't really answer it because it's not like music to me, right? Like I like just about every kind of music except country. Um, and that's not me putting down country. That's not me putting down anybody who likes country. I wish I liked country. I wish I could get into country. I just can't. So that's just me. But I don't have one like that when it comes to movies. I'll have to think about that, Logan. It's a good question, though. All right. And I, I do like a good musical as well. By the way, Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge. Mm, love that movie. Uh, Bucky Rocks writes, the history of swear words, the Samuel, the Samuel Jackson cut coming to HBO Max. So for those of you who might have missed this news. We talked about the other day, uh, Nicolas Cage is hosting a new limited series, limited in the sense that there's only going to be six episodes. We'll see if they do a season two, although they might run out of swear words, called The History of Swear Words. And it's like each episode is dedicated to one particular word, like shit or whatever, right? Like each episode has one, which is pretty funny. He's going to have a bunch of guest stars like Sarah Silverman's going to be on there and Nick Offerman. Um but yeah, I, that came out of nowhere, but it seems absolutely perfect. And a lot of people are like, how do you have the F word episode and not have Samuel Jackson as the guest host? Mm. Not guest host, but a guest on there with Nicolas Cage. That just seems like a match made in heaven. It's a good question. All right, next up, Patrick Conway writes, what do you think is going to happen with Morbius? Do you think it will be dropped to streaming like uh, like hype for it seems dead and it seems relatively low budget and based on the trailer, it seems to lead uh, into Spider-Man 3. So Sony might not want to delay it. I don't think. Nah, I, listen, if Sony had a mainstream premium streaming service of its own, maybe. I just don't see that happening, though. I, I think Sony, they know they've got a moneymaker in Mo Morbius. I mean, they look at what happened with Venom. Everybody said, Venom's not going to make any money without Spider-Man in it. And I said, yes, it will. I, I didn't think it would make $800 million, but I thought it would make money. But even I didn't think $800 million. That movie made over $800 million. Now, is Morbius going to make $800 million, too? I, I mean, I doubt it. Maybe not that much, but it's going to make money. It's going to make money. Venom, 
too, is going to make money. And they know they've got moneymakers on their hands. Now, look, it's absolutely possible they could sell it for $300 million to some streaming service. It's possible. Uh, Nothing right now is off the table. But if I had to guess what is likely, I, I think Sony not having their own major premium streaming service to dump it off to if they wanted to. Uh, I think Sony's going to want to hold on to it. I think they're going to want to play that one close to the vest. I think they know they got a moneymaker. So I think they're going to wait, especially now with Disney having just announced all these movies that they're going to still keep in theaters, like not streaming only Raya and the last dragon. Raya and the last dragon was the only movie that Disney announced was going to do the, we're going to release it in theaters and on Disney plus premium access on the same day. All those other ones, They announced a lot of movies that are strictly going to be going to theater. Disney Plus later, but going to theaters. So I think that might embolden Sony a little bit too. But again, anything is possible and we'll have to wait to find out. Good question, Patrick. All right, next up, Tony Rodriguez writes, Well, John, it looks like Kevin Feige don't mind playing in other people's creations. Uh, If I've learned from you, I think you trusted Cinema Blend, Screen Rant, and Empire. Charlie Cox is in. Over under 40%, they reference Toon... Uh, tune movie events. Not sure what that means. Never say never. All right, Tony, first of all, thanks for writing in. Let's be clear about something. Okay. Let's be very, very, very clear about something. Cinema blend screen rant and empire are not reporting that Charlie Cox is in as, uh, as uh, daredevil in the MCU. Let's be very, very clear about that. What is the thing that I'm always telling you guys follow the source when Cinema Blend wrote an article about the possibilities of Charlie Cox being in there, they didn't say that their sources have confirmed to them that Charlie Cox is in. What did they do? They said this one other website, which is that Something Universe website. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to put that website down. I just can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Uh, Something Universe, a, a small uh, website. Um, wrote that they had this exclusive scoop that Charlie Cox is back as Daredevil. When Cinema Blend wrote about it, they didn't say that they could confirm it. They're just saying, oh, there's this other website that said this. Same with Empire. Empire wrote an article about it, but again, their source was that same website, that same something universe website. When Screen Rant wrote about it, they were just saying, oh, oh, these other guys said that. We're not saying it. Cinema Blend didn't say we're saying it. Empire didn't say we're saying it. They, they all pointed to the same thing. It's kind of like this. Let's say I say the sky turned purple yesterday. Okay, so John Campia said that. The sky turned purple yesterday. Now, let's say you, Tony, go to some friends and say, huh, hey, John Campia said the sky turned purple yesterday. Are you saying the sky turned purple yesterday? No, you're simply telling other people that I said the sky was turning purple. If Cinema Blend comes out and says, hey, because Cinema Blend's a pretty reliable site. I like Cinema Blend. I have for a long time. And they're they're not always right, but they're fairly reliable. And they very rarely will, will come out and say, we can confirm through our own independent sources that such and such and such is true. Empire's another good one. So if Empire came out and said, we can confirm through our own independent uh, insider sources that this, this, and this, I would tend to believe it. But they're all just saying, hey, that other website, something universe made this claim. That's all they're saying. 
So let's be very clear about this. Cinema Blend, Screen Rant, and Empire did not say Charlie Cox is back. They didn't. They they said that somebody else said that he is. That's a really important distinction. A lot of people ask me, John, why haven't I made, I mean, I could get a lot of clicks if I made a video about Charlie Cox back as Daredevil. Why haven't I? The reason I haven't is because as of right now, there's no reason to believe it's true. One website who I believe is telling the truth that they were told this, again, something universe, I can't remember the name of it. I believe they're telling the truth. I believe they did get told this, but I have no reason to trust their sources, right? Um, and my whole modus operandi here is this. We get 100 of these rumors every single day, and 99% of the time, they don't turn out to be true. And we ended up wasting a lot of time talking about it and got a lot of, and a lot of people got uh, misdirected and a lot of people, a lot of confusion got caused. Like, wait a minute, I thought I heard so-and-so was going to be in this and this. It's like, no, that was never actually confirmed. That's just some site said that. And so my kind of, what I've evolved to, what I've kind of decided to make as a standard for myself I'm not saying anybody else has to do this. This is just standard for myself is that, look, of all these hundreds of rumors that start every day, 99% of them don't turn out to be true. So if they are true, though, at some point, the legitimate news trades, Variety, The Hollywood Reporter, The Wrap, Deadline, Entertainment Weekly, uh, whatever, Empire, for example, if one of these hundreds of rumors that get started every day, if one of those happens to be true, then in the coming hours or coming days or coming weeks, one of the legitimate news sites will find out themselves and they will report on it as well. And at that point, it becomes worth talking about. As far as I'm concerned, at that point, it becomes worth talking about. Listen, there's a reason why when I find out, when I've been told something and I share it with my audience, Half the time, you guys know exactly what I'm going to say. You get bored of hearing me say it, but I always say, anybody else watching this, do not run with this as a story. I always say other sites, other outlets, when I hear something, they should not run with it as a story because I am not a legitimate news site. I'm a pundit. I'm a commentator. And yeah, I get told some very true things from time to time, but I am not the Hollywood Reporter. I'm not Variety. Other sites should not take and run. That's why what one of the things I have never done, I get emails all the time, like all the other sites and outlets get these emails all the time that says, hey, fellow uh, blogger, YouTuber, scooper, I just ran a story that I found out this on my site. You should link to it and talk about it on your blog or podcast or show. But these go, everybody in the, in these circles get these emails all the time. I have never written one of those. I don't reach out to other sites. I don't write out to other sites. Hey, guys, I just broke this scoop. You should talk about it on your website. I've never done that. I'm not saying that's what uh, this universe site has done either. They didn't do that in this case either. So I'm not saying that they did, but I'm saying it happens all the time. But I don't think I should be taken as a source for somebody else to write a story on their site. And I don't think... Uh, a site like Universe or Gus's Gas Station dot Fart or Campia's Stupid YouTube Channel. I don't think these. I think it's perfectly fine for Universe or me or Gus's Gas Station Movie Reviews dot Fart. I believe if we each individually hear something, we should talk about it with our own audience and let our own audience knows about it. 
But I don't think other outlets should pick up on that and spread those rumors and spread those things. Wait until it comes from a legitimate news site. Because like I said, it's possible that what Universe was told is true. It's possible. Every single rumor has a possibility that there's truth to it. So I'm not sitting here at all definitively saying that the Charlie Cox rumor is definitively not true. Not at all. I'm not saying that in the least. I'm just saying right now, I don't have enough basis to believe in its authenticity yet. If it is real, at some point, the Hollywood Reporter will find out from their sources that it's real. At some point, Variety's legitimate industry sources will tell them, and then they will run it as a story. At some point, you know, deadline or whatever, when that happens, then we can go, okay, that thing that Universe talked about was true. And now we can talk about it. So, uh, but no, again, to highlight Tony, this is, this is a big thing that happens all the time. Somebody writes to me and says, John, did you hear about wild rumor X? And I'm like, well, what's the source of wild rumor X? I'll write them back. I'll say, what is the source of wild rumor X? Well, they're talking about it on coming soon. And they're talking about it on, uh, IGN and they're talking about it on this. So it's coming from all these places. But then when you look into it, it's like, nope, it's not coming from any of those places. All of those places got the story from wegotthiscovered.com or they all got this story from gasesmoviereviews.fart or, or whatever. It's like, okay, so no, none of those places are saying this is true. They're just saying somebody else is saying that it's true. It's an important distinction to make, I think. And, and again, we may find out in a week or two that Charlie Cox is back in the MCU and Sony will confirm it or the MCU will confirm it or Variety or, or the Hollywood Reporter will confirm it. And then that's going to be a big story. And we'll all talk about it. And we'll make sure we go, hey, remember that Universe site, they actually broke this a couple weeks ago, right? But until that happens, it's just another one of those hundreds of rumors that gets, get started every day. Not saying it's not true. Just saying there's not, not enough basis there for me to run with it as a topic or anything like that. Anyway, uh, that's just like kind of one of the behind the scenes kind of big issues to me. So um, there's our thoughts on that. So let's see what transpires and let's see what evolves from that. All right, next up, David Dilks writes, I think that is likely um, in Spider-Man 3, we could see a vampire Toby fight Electro while a symbiote Andrew fights Doc Ock. Three Toby movies and a Morbius movie could balance two Andrew movies and two Venom movies. Uh, listen, the one thing I can tell you they're not thinking about and that they're not worried about at all is balancing out Toby and uh, Andrew movies. They're not worried about that in the least. Like that's not even remotely on their uh, radar. But that doesn't mean that we couldn't see a vampire Toby fighting a uh, symbiote Andrew. I mean, that's, that's just not say that. I'm just saying that the underlying motivation for that in Sony is they're not worried in the least about balancing anything out. But it does raise an interesting thing. We talked about this the other day. Wouldn't it be cool? Like we're all thinking, oh, Doc Ock and Electro are the villains and hero Spider-Man Andrew and hero Spider-Man Toby are going to come in to help out hero Spider-Man uh, Tom. What if we've got that all wrong? What if in whatever universe that Andrew Spider-Man and Toby Spider-Man are coming from, what if in those universes Spider-Man is a villain? 
Would that then by extension mean that if they're fighting Electro, that means that this Jamie Foxx Electro, whatever universe that's coming from, what if Jamie Foxx Electro is the hero? Does that extension flip everything over? I mean, I'm not saying that's what they're going to do. I'm just saying, wouldn't that be fun? Would that not be fun? I don't know. We're going to have to see what they do, David. All right, next up. Uh, Calvin uh, Severo Pano writes, John, I have a theory about Spider-Man 3. Everybody does. Um, a, A villain that works with multiverse like Madam Web, because remember, there have been a lot. There has been a lot of talk about Madam Web movie, a standalone Madam Web movie. Madam Web throwing Holland, Tom Holland, in Maguireverse during the Doc Ock fights and him returning to to be thrown in the Garfield verse during the Electro fights. Uh, both cases, Doctor Strange help him to return. Third act of the third third act, the three of them fight Madam Web. This way you could justify all the Maguire and Garfield cast without making a mess with continuity and over polluting the movie. Uh, one scene for Ock, Electro, MJ, and Gwen. Uh, I don't think that's the way they're going to go. But listen, the one you do bring up something that has kind of been left off to the side a lot, which is whole, the whole Madam Web angle. Like, I think it's pretty clear they're going with like Doctor Strange's movie is Multiverse of Madness. They're going into this whole multiverse stuff that got introduced in Endgame, right? So I don't think they need another uh, crux like Madam Web to explain multiverse. I, I don't think they need that. But less in the midst of all this other Spider-Man talk, you bring up a great point. Madam Web has been something they've been talking about. They're going to be doing a Madam Web movie. And maybe that fits into this whole thing. Now, it's important to point out that Kevin Feige did just say that this story is not connecting Madam Web. He said this story is connecting the WandaVision show, Spider-Man 3, and Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. These are the three films that are kind of doing this one story arc. So he seemed to have left Madam Web out of that. And by the way, Madam Web is a Sony production. Uh, Marvel is not making Madam Web. Sony owns Spider-Man, but they've contracted to let Marvel make the Spider-Man movies. That's not the same thing with Madam Web. So I don't know that they're going to be as intricately connecting all that in. But it's an interesting theory, Calvin. Let's keep our eyes on it. All right, next up. Jared's Reviews writes, one of two. Hey, John. A bit of a random question, but uh, my state recently had to go on lockdown again, as did California, man. Uh, And doing so, I have re-sparked my love for video games. And with you inspiring me every day to be creative, I am saving up to build a PC to start streaming and making YouTube videos. Nice. Excellent. That's I encourage everybody to do that. I'm struggling where I would want to stream. When I think video games to watch, I think Twitch, but I also like the idea of having everything under one roof like YouTube, even though it's not known as a place to stream. While I know each place has its pros and cons, and I don't expect anything crazy to happen, but if something did happen, then I know I picked the best platform to keep growing and continue making a fun and positive impact to people. So which platform do you think has the most benefits? You know, I've been researching, I started researching a lot of stuff back when If you guys remember last year sometime, there was that whole thing going on where YouTube was making the saying where you've got to 
clarify if your videos are made for children and if they find that your video is made for children, you didn't market for that, you could be fined $15,000 and have everything shut down and blah, blah, blah. And that made a lot of YouTube creators freak out, including me. I freaked out about that for a little bit. Uh, I felt better about it after I did some more reading and I found out how they're actually going to uh, execute that stuff and how they're not going to execute it. Then I eventually felt better, but there was a good six months where I started to think about, should I take the John Campia show somewhere else? Because right now I'm on YouTube and YouTube has worked great for me. It's done very well. YouTube has been very good to me, but you know, it made me think about if there were other options and I thought about a lot of things. I thought about making a subscription-based service, you know, make it like, so like my Patreon supporters, by the way, we have a Patreon campaign, patreon.com slash John Campia. Thank you to all of our Patreon supporters out there. I thought about maybe we just make the John Campia show a Patreon only show and we take it off YouTube and we use a different video service for that. Uh, and I thought about a number of things. And one of the things that I contemplated was Twitch. I... I am not impressed with Twitch, to be honest with you. Even as a gaming platform, they do some things really right. Now, there's a YouTuber that I uh, – he's a YouTuber and a Twitch guy uh, that I watch on a fairly regular basis. I, I really like his stuff. His name's Harris Heller. Let me see if I can bring it up here. Um, uh, YouTube.com slash – I think it's called Alpha Gaming. I think that's the name of his channel. Uh, I cannot, oop, I, maybe if I spelt it right, maybe then I'd be able to come up with something. People who are listening to this podcast going, Campia, we can't actually see what you're doing. I know, but let me see if I can bring this up here. That's not it at all. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let me see if I can find him here. Okay. Yes, here he is. Okay. Let me bring up, uh, let me bring up his, uh, his channel here. So, uh, this guy's not a, he's not a massive, massive guy on the channel. Uh, like he's got like twice the number of YouTube, uh, subscribers that I do, but I, I think he's really good and I enjoy watching his stuff. And he talks a lot about, uh, Twitch. He talks a lot specifically about Twitch and he breaks down a lot of stuff. And, um, I, I just think he's really good anyway. I've even been as a Twitch streamer, he twitches three, he does, uh, he game streams three times a week on Twitch on a regular schedule. And even he, who's a very prominent Twitch uh, endorser, he's been talking a lot lately about the problems that come up with Twitch. Discoverability is a major problem with Twitch. Uh, it's very hard to gain any traction on Twitch. Um, they're having massive problems with the DCMA strikes right now. Um, they're with the RIA and having massive problems there and all that kind of stuff. And the more I looked at Twitch as a as a possible, you know, home for the John Campia show, I just realized more and more this isn't a great idea. And with YouTube, it's a lot easier for you to do your gaming streams, but also do individual segments and do a lot of different things that point to your channel. And I'm just finding more and more Twitch users are becoming less and less satisfied with Twitch. So while I am not an expert on Twitch streaming, from the people I listen to who are experts on Twitch streaming, I'm hearing a lot of negative things from them lately. They're getting more and more Twitch users are migrating over to YouTube. Um, and in my own kind of 
case study, as I looked into it and see what features would work and what wouldn't, I kind of became less and less satisfied with it as well. So my personal recommendation, take it for what it's worth. My personal recommendation, Jared's, would be if you've already got stuff on YouTube, keep it all under one roof and, and do it on YouTube. Again, I'm not the biggest expert in the world on Twitch by a mile, but that is the stuff I've been hearing. So that's my recommendation. Anyway, good luck on launching that, man. I, I think that's great that you're doing that. All right. James Welsh writes, one of two. Uh, Doc Ock died in Spider-Man. Yes, he did. Uh, also, he was not really a villain, but a good man controlled by his arms. And when he has his, and when he has his come to Jesus moment, he soar the light probably meant saw the light uh, and redeemed himself. How do you think Sony will revive him? And do you think they will change him uh, to a uh, think they will change the character to a more of a typical villain? I think they might set the Toby part of Spider-Man three in Spider-Man two and maybe use the de-aging tech on the cast. I've got a feeling they're not going to do any de-aging my, my guess right now. And it's totally just a speculative guess. This is not based on any industry insider information at all. This is just me totally speculation, pulling this out of my ass. Okay. I have a feeling the Toby Spider-Man is not going to be the exact Toby Spider-Man from Spider-Man one and two. And I'm not sure that the exact Andrew Garfield Spider-Man we're going to get is the exact same Andrew Garfield Spider-Man from The Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2. I have a feeling it's going to be a version of those Spider-Men, but their own unique versions of them. I don't know that, obviously. But like I was saying a little bit earlier, I've got a bit of a theory that maybe maybe even one of these Spider-Men will be a villain, which I think would be completely cool and ballsy for them to do and to try. Uh, so I'm not sure. But at, at any rate, the bottom line for me is I don't think they need to worry about, well, what happened to Doc Ock in his movie and what happened to Electro in his movie? Actually, Jamie Foxx has already kind of hinted at the fact that maybe this Electro is not exactly going to be the Electro we remember from The Amazing Spider-Man 2. That kind of leads me to believe the same would be true of the two Spider-Men, of Alfred Molina, uh, of all those different things. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how that, that kind of transpires. Or maybe it goes exactly as you're saying, James. We'll, we'll have to find out. It's totally fascinating, though. I am totally fascinated to see how they're going to work this one out. All right. An anonymous, an anonymous user writes, insane Spider-Man theory. What if Morbius is actually set in the Tobey Maguire uh, with the OG Spider-Man costume in the trailer? A multiverse could tie it all together. Maybe Michael Keaton is a misdirection and he's playing an alternate version of himself. Possible. I doubt it, though. I doubt it. I mean, I my guess, and again, it's just a guess. My guess is that this Morbius takes place in the same universe as Tom Hardy's Venom. That's my guess. Because it's, you know, both Sony. There was no hint or indication in the first Venom that Spider-Man existed in that universe. That being said, it's not like they ever explicitly said in the first Venom movie, there are no such thing as superheroes in our world. Like, they never explicitly said that either. So look at both sides of it. It's, they never they never implied that there are any superheroes, including any Spider-Man in that universe. But at the same time, they never explicitly said there are no superheroes in our world. Just throwing that out there just to be balanced. But I'm not sure. 
like, I'm not sure the Michael Keaton thing. I don't know if that is a misdirect. I've like, listen, Marvel and Sony both can do really well with misdirects Marvel in particular, but it's usually more of a Marvel thing that throws out a big misdirect and Marvel had nothing to do with the trailers. The distributor takes care of marketing and trailers. That means Sony Sony's in charge of the trailers. And they're not nearly as big on the whole misdirect thing as Marvel is, but maybe they learned a thing or two from Marvel. I don't, but I don't think the Michael Keaton thing was a misdirect. I don't think it was. So I think we are going to get like, they're going to say from the moment that Endgame ended, there is so much multidimensional stuff going on. It's just, it's just all warping it together. I don't think they're going to say that Morbius and his origins is in the same universe as any Spider-Man or that Tom Hart. I think they're just going to say that that cataclysmic event brings it all together and kind of mashes it together and they'll unveil it as the movie progresses. But you could be exactly right. I mean, that's the other thing too. There are so, that's kind of the exciting thing apart the, about this is that there are so many valid possibilities on the table. It's not like <clears throat> there's only one of two ways that this can go. It has to either be A or it has to be B. That's not the case here. There's literally hundreds of ways this could go. And it's going to leave us guessing and theorizing like you are, and we'll see how it kind of turns out. All right, next up, uh, Matt writes, been watching since your Man of Steel AMC movie talk review with the late, great John Schnepp. They, a lot of people, that's where they first uh, found us. Uh, it's the very first time I got to gush about Man of Steel, something I've been doing for years since. I love that movie. Uh, did you see Joe Manginello talk about Ben Affleck's scrapped Batman film? I think it sounded really cool. Are you excited to see Deathstroke in the Snyder Cut? Uh, well, first of all, we have heard over the past couple of years a number of insiders who had read Ben Affleck's Batman script and said it was de facto, the greatest Batman script ever written. And I have no doubts about that. Lest everybody forget, Ben Affleck is an Academy Award winning screenwriter. Ben Affleck is also a lifelong Batman, or Ben Affleck is also a lifelong Batman freak. I had, and he is simply one of the best filmmakers in the world right now. He really is. Although he hasn't done anything in a while. He is one of the best filmmakers in the world. Um, his movies just never cease to completely floor me and, and amaze me. He's so good. I have no doubt Ben Affleck's Batman would have kicked insane ass. I have no doubt would have been amazing. And we have heard from people who have read the script. We have heard from industry insiders who have read the script over the past couple of years who said it is actually the best Batman script ever written. So I'm not surprised about that. Am I excited to see Deathstroke and Snyder Cut? No, not really. But don't take that as a negative. Look, my... Probably my favorite character on television right now is probably Lucifer Morningstar in the show Lucifer. Was I excited about his small appearance in the CW Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover? Not really. I mean, I was looking forward to it, but knowing it was going to be such a small little pop-in cameo, hello, I'm Lucifer, and then he'd be gone. It's, it's hard to get excited about that. I love the notion of Joe Manganiello as Deathstroke. Love it. I wanted to see him in that Batman movie so bad. But it's hard to get terribly excited when you know his appearance in this is going to be very small. Right? That that's something we all know. His appearance in this is going to be very very small. So I'm looking forward to it. 
to see what little thing they do. And maybe it'll open up doors for them to do more with Joe in the future, which would be exciting. But knowing it's going to be such a small thing, it's hard. It's hard to get terribly excited. It's hard to get terribly excited. So uh, but that's not because of Joe. It's just because. We know it's going to be a very small thing, not really worth getting too worked up about, but I'll look forward to it and maybe it'll open the doors for them to do more in the future. Who knows? All right, next up, Loverboy writes, it finally happened. Did you hear that the weird, unnecessary one-sided beef between The Rock and Crybaby Tyrese has now been squashed? If Universal was smart, uh, they changed Hobbs and Shaw to Hobbs and Shaw with Roman. No, I don't think they should do that. And no, listen, I, I did not hear that they finally squashed that, but it was probably an inevitability, and I'm glad that they did. Uh, it's pro- It was probably an inevitability because once Dwayne Johnson and Vin Diesel kind of publicly squashed their beef, uh, which they did a while ago, um, once that happened, it, it wasn't, it was going to be inevitable that at some point the auxiliary beefs would also, uh, get kind of fixed. And I'm glad that they have, I'm glad that they have, um, listen, this whole thing started when I, you guys know what my opinion of Tyrese's tirades were about Dwayne Johnson. I had very, uh, strong opinions about that. And how he conducted himself. But you know what? He Tyrese hasn't done anything like that since. I think he learned uh, from, from that experience. Um, I know he reached out to me. I reached back out to him. It's, it's all good. But, you know, when you saw that change in behavior and then you saw that, you know, Vince uh, – uh, uh, Vin, I should say, I almost, I almost said Vince McMahon. Why was I almost? Oh, because the rocks tight. That's why. That's why I had Vince McMahon on the brain. When you found out that Vin and Dwayne settled it, you knew it was just going to be a matter of time before probably everything got settled and the house would get put back in order. And it's good to hear. I don't think there is a place for Roman and Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, not because of Tyrese, just because I don't think that character is a fit for that. I like Hobbs and Shaw kind of as its own spinoff thing, but, uh, but who knows? But it's always good to hear people no longer having anonymity against each other is always a good thing to hear. It's always a good thing to hear. All right. Next up, Matthew Phillips writes, Hey John. So I've been curious how they will involve the Spidey side characters into Spider-Man three, if at all, uh, Dr. Connors, Aunt May, uh, Harry Osborn, et cetera, over under 5% that the MCU's uncle Ben is depicted as Stan Lee, uh, despite his age, it would be fitting to me. Uh, over to five that the MCU's uncle Ben is depicted as Stan Lee. I, I don't see how you do that because no, no, I, I don't see that because, um, Stan Lee would have been far too old for Marissa Tomei because she's, she is the MCU's aunt May. So you have to get somebody around Tony's age, actually around Tony Stark's age to do that. So Stan Lee, no, not to mention you couldn't get Stanley to now record something to do, obviously, because we've sadly lost Stanley. So I, even at, even though 5% is very, very low, I'm going to have to go even further under that. It's just, it's not, I, it just doesn't, it just doesn't match up because you got to remember whatever your uncle Ben is, has got to match up with who their existing Aunt May is. And the MCU's existing Aunt May is Marissa Tomei. So I don't, I, I don't think that lines up, unfortunately. All right. Thanks for writing that in though, Matthew. A.V. Callie writes. 
With rumors that Charlie Cox might be in Spider-Man 3, again, there's no point in even addressing this. Um, do you think it's possible that he might not be Daredevil, but instead being Spider-Man's lawyer to clear his name? Um, I mean, that's an interesting question. Okay, look, first of all, just discard the whole Charlie Cox thing until we find out from something more solid. That being said, uh, what about Charlie Cox just popping in, but not as Daredevil? Nothing stopping that, right? There is nothing stopping Charlie Cox from being in the MCU as somebody else other than, you know, uh, other than Matt Murdock. It's possible. It's on the table. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. Let's be clear. But that is one of the possibilities. So you never know. You never know. It would also be a neat little wink of the eye to the Marvel audience if they did that. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. Maybe his name in it is Matt Mitchell attorney at law and he's just you know matt mitchell attorney at law i mean maybe they do that i don't know uh what Conan forever writes uh, i've got a golden ticket i've got a golden ticket chance to make my way and with a golden ticket it's a golden day john i am learning about investing and bought my first stock good on you man that's always exciting uh, i am asking as a beginning investor do you have any general advice well first of all um investing is good i am not a financial expert I'm the wrong guy to ask for advice from. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't have my phone here. Don't get me wrong. I, I've got Robin Hood on my phone. I'm gonna buy, buy some stocks. Actually, I've done pretty well too. Now that, but hey, I buy some stocks. I do some investing a little bit here and there, but I am not the guy to ask advice from. I mean, the only advice I have is the most standard investing advice. Buy low, sell high. I mean, that's the only advice I have. That's the stereotypical general financial advice that everybody knows. But I think that's exciting what you're doing. You know, the fun thing is that investing never has never been easier. Like I remember a couple of buddies of mine and I uh, back just shortly after I was wrapping up college, a few buddies of mine and I decided to pool a little bit of money and we opened an account uh, through our bank. And there, there was a lot of loopholes and, and hoops you had to jump through to set up, uh, you know, investing stuff, right? Buying stocks. And we set up an account through a bank and blah, blah, blah. And we would be into what was called penny stocks, right? We'd find these really cheap stocks that would be under a dollar. So like 31 cents a share. And then we'd buy a bunch of that because even if it only goes up 30 cents, well, you've doubled your money, right? So me and some buddies, we pooled, I can't remember. We were all like none of us had any a lot of money, but I think three or four of us, we pulled like 1500 bucks. We all got 1500 bucks together, right? And we tried the the penny stock thing and, and we got lucky. We got like, I think like the first stock we bought was like 23 cents or something like that. And something weird happened. And all of a sudden it was at like 81 cents. Well, now all of a sudden our 1500 bucks was like $6,000. And to us at that time, that was like all the money in the world. That seemed to us like, oh my God, we're rich. And then then you know how he starts thinking, right? Your mind starts going, oh my God, at this rate, by Tuesday, we're going to be millionaires, guys. By next year, we're each going to own our own private island. This is the greatest thing ever. Well, what happened next? As is often true in life. What happened next is we did another penny stock and bought it like 50 cents or something and it dropped. 
and it dropped to like 40 cents. So we sold it and we took a loss. And then we did it again and took another loss. And then we did it again and we hit, we got lucky again. And anyway, at the end of the day, we ended up just saying, okay, look, we don't know what we're doing. This is just a roller coaster. So we cashed out, but, but we cashed out. I think we cashed out with like five or $6,000 at the end of the day. And you say, you know what? We got, we, we got lucky at first and we lost a bit. Then we got some back. Then we lost a bit. We got some back. Let, we're ahead right now. Let's just get out of this. But honestly, that's how much I know about investing. But the point is that today it is so much easier, especially now with apps like Robinhood and there are some others. You just get this app and boom, you can start buying stocks and you can start investing. How dumb or how smart that is, I don't, I don't know, but I do a little bit of investing still, but I'm the wrong guy to ask for advice, man. But good luck for, to you, man. I hope things go well for you. All right. Preston the Kryptonian writes, hey, John. Something I'd like to see on Disney Plus or in the theaters, if they are still around, is to see a screen adaptation of Shadows of the Empire, whether it be a movie or a show. I think Dash Rendar, IG-88, and Zixor would be a what would be wonderful characters to see. Yeah, but the, the problem, of course, with Shadows of the Empire, Rob and I have talked about this on the show before. The problems with Shadows of the Empire is that it firmly falls outside of canon. After all the adaptation it's not going to look very much like the shadows of the, I mean, they could still do something called shadows of the empire, but it's not going to look, it's going to look significantly different than what we think it would look like. They've got so much stuff going on now. I, I honestly don't think they need a shadows of the empire. You know, it's like somebody else writing in and say, we'd love to see an heir to the empire, which is of course the original, not the new Thrawn books, but the original grand Admiral Thrawn trilogy, the heir to the empire series. And it's one of the greatest Star Wars stories ever. One of the absolute greatest Star Wars stories ever. But it is so outside of canon. And there's just no point. And as much as I love it, there's really no point. So I don't know, Preston. I, I, I don't know. I mean, look, if they announced it, I'd be intrigued. I just don't think it's a direction they're going to go. But uh, we'll see. Never know. Stranger things have happened. We've got Hayden Christensen coming back as as uh, Vader for uh, the Obi-Wan series. All right. Uh, movie theater fan writes, hot take one, Tom Holland uses other Spider-Man to hide his true identity. Hot take number two. That's not a bad idea, actually. Hot take number two, Deadpool shows up in Spider-Man. Mm, I don't I don't know they're going to do that. Uh, three, Doctor Strange. Oh, in Spider-Man 3 or Doctor Strange. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that they're going to do that. Uh, hot take number three. Matt Murdock is Spider-Man's lawyer and appears in a Marvel uh, TV show. Uh, again, who knows about that? Hottest take. Movie trailers love story. <laughs> five out of five. Thoughts? Well, yes, absolutely agree with your five out of five rating for movie trailers of love story. Truly a defining documentary for an entire generation. Anyway, I might be a little bit biased about that. I still don't understand why... Anybody feels like they need to bring in a lawyer character for Spider-Man. If Spider-Man needs a lawyer character, guess what? The MCU just brought in a major primetime lawyer, She-Hulk. They've got She-Hulk. She's in the universe. Why can't that be their lawyer? Doesn't need Charlie Cox. Doesn't need Matt Murdock to be that lawyer. But I mean, that's what everybody's speculating right now. Deadpool showing up, I, I, I still think... I still believe, don't know, I don't know, there's a difference between what we believe and what we know. I certainly don't know this. My belief right now is that I think they're going to keep Deadpool in a separate thing. 
because they want to keep Deadpool rated R. And Bob Iger, who is still the chairman of the board of Disney, he's not CEO anymore, but he's the CEO's boss. He's still the chairman of the board. I don't believe Bob Iger is going to allow R-rated stuff into the MCU. And he doesn't want to confuse audiences by having this Deadpool character show up in a PG Deadpool in a PG Marvel film. Hey, everybody. And then have a Deadpool standalone movie where he's getting pegged. And he's he's like using all the wonderful language that we're used to hearing Deadpool do. I don't think Bob Iger wants that kind of confusion. So I still believe they're going to keep him separate, but you never know. Everything's on the table right now. I think everything's on the table. Uh, anyway, movie theater fan, thanks so much for checking out my documentary. I appreciate it very much. All right. GQ writes, hey, Gio, I find myself looking for indie slash cheap movies like uh, Braven with uh, Momoa and Lang, uh, Joe with Nicolas Cage, The Lobster. I love The Lobster with Colin Farrell, The Rover with Battinson, Don't Breathe, A Quiet Place, etc. Uh, I still love the blockbusters, of course, but I always look for those unknown and forgotten movies. And even if some are bad, I still love and appreciate the filmmaking. What do you think of my weird mood? Oh, no. Listen, I love coming across those movies. I love coming across those. Those are some of the best movies out there. Like in a world where we focus so much on the blockbuster, and of course we all love those. I obviously love those. But it's oftentimes the best movies are the kinds that you just kind of mentioned. These are often like the best movies. You know, it's funny. I've I've talked about this before, GQ, where I used to say, you know, on my show, the first number of years that I did my job, you know, in when I was doing the movie blog, when I was doing For Your Consideration, uh, in the early days, too, of when I was doing AMC, it felt like to me like a part of my job was to convince people to give comic book movies a try, to give the big blockbusters a try, right? Because there was still this kind of uh, baggage attached to comic book movies, there was still this attitude towards them kind of in the early days of like the AMC movie talk and whatever, you know, the, the comic book movies were just really starting to have their surge. And I always felt like it was kind of my job to try to convince movie fans, give these comic book movies a try, give these big kind of, you know, sci-fi, give these ones a shot. You'll find they're getting better and better and better. What I found was, and I've talked about this before, is that as the couple of years started to pass, I realized that it totally flipped and no longer was it my job to try to convince people to give comic book movies a shot. I found that it kind of became a part of my job to convince people to try something other than the big blockbusters. Because we now live in a world where there's a lot of people who will only go see the newest DC film, the newest MCU film, the newest Star Wars film, the new whatever, you know, insert name of big massive blockbuster here. Now there's a lot of people that that's the only thing they try out. And you get some of these incredibly great movies. Moonlight's a great example. It, it, if you want to see just how true that is. Just watch every year when the Oscar season comes along and the Oscar nominees are announced and everybody gets all pissy because, well, I don't know any of those movies. Well, that's because you only ever went to go see comic book movies this year. You know, Endgame was the best movie this year. That's because you only saw Endgame in about seven other movies in theaters this year. Endgame was not the best movie this year. I mean, it's all subjective. If that's your opinion, that's your opinion. But, you know, and so 
I found that this weird kind of transition happened in my career where I went from trying to convince people to check out comic book movies where now I got to convince people to check out something other than comic book movies. But John, you may rightfully say, you talk an awful lot about comic book. Yeah, because I love comic book movies. Don't get me, I love them. And, I, and we talk about them. They're big topics and definitely we talk about them. But we also talk about a lot of other things too. And, um, and yeah, so man, no, you're not weird GQ. I think that's great that you have that type of a viewing habit. Anyway, Glenn Tracy writes, regarding the roles of Garfield and McGuire in Spider-Man 3, could it be that their roles out of the masks are small, but then actually as Spider-Man, they play bigger roles? Uh, when it be, whether it be via stunt doubles or CGI, uh, could explain uh, why they weren't on set for long. I mean, theoretically, yes, but I doubt it. I, I honestly think that their presence will be important, but minimal. And by minimal, I don't just mean a quick 30-second cameo, but probably along the lines of Tony Stark's actual screen time in Spider-Man Homecoming. Something that I was worried about, Tony Stark was going to dominate that movie, but really he was only on screen for like, I can't remember, it was like nine minutes or something like that. I think it will be fairly small. I think what happens with them will be pivotal and important to the movie, but I still think it's going to be relatively small. I don't think it's a matter of Spider-Man will be in there all the time and we only see a few minutes. I don't think they're going to do that. But everything's on the table. Well, you never know. I'm sure we're going to listen. I'm sure we're going to get a lot more concrete, factual information and confirmations from Sony, from the MCU, from the big trades in the coming weeks. I think we're getting a lot more information in the coming weeks and uh, we'll see where we're at. It's, it's fun to speculate, though, Glenn. All right. Next up, Alan writes, hey, John and crew. All I want for Nick Cage Netflix series is for Samuel Jackson to be a part of the fuck episode. We were just talking about that. Uh, that would be glorious. Anybody in particular besides the ones you've already announced that you would like to see as guests? Well, no, they've already put out the list of guests, so we know who they're going to be. Honestly, I the trailer for the history of dirty words or swear words was fun, but I don't know if it gave us an actual peek into what the tone of the show is going to be. And without knowing what the tone of the show is going to be, it's hard for me to say, oh, this person should be uh, should be a guest on it. Oh, I don't know whether that person would be a good fit or not, to be honest. But it does seem like a universally accepted and agreed upon thing that it would have been pretty cool to have Samuel Jackson in there for the F word episode. That probably would have been fun. All right. Next up, uh, Andy writes. I was remembering the talk Spielberg and Lucas gave some seven years ago regarding the future of cinema. Cinemas would become less, uh, bigger, and more expensive, similar to Broadway theaters, uh, with only blockbusters. With the WB News, this is looking more likely. I still think it's impossible to say. Everybody seems to forget that everything that is happening right now is done in the context of an unprecedented, temporary, global pandemic. And what will everything look like on the other side of that? I don't know. Nobody does. Anybody who pretends they know what it's going to look like is really just pulling out of their ass. Like all of us are, right? We don't know what that's going to look like. And by the way, Warner Brothers is facing heat from everybody right now. 
Filmmakers hate them. Actors hate them. The agencies hate them. The Directors Guild hates them. Their production partners like Legendary hate them. They are catching heat from everywhere right now. And I am not going to be surprised. I, I didn't think this just 24 hours ago, maybe 48 hours ago. 48 hours ago, I didn't think this. But the more I'm looking at it, I'm starting to, to think there might be a better possibility than we think that a number of these movies that Warner Brothers announced would go straight to HBO Max. I have a feeling they're going to do a 360 on a lot of them. Maybe not all of them, not all of them, but I think they're probably going to do a 360 on none of them, either by choice or by court order. Because I know Legendary is looking at taking them to court over Godzilla and um, and Dune. And if the DGA, D, the DGA, the Directors Guild of America, set up meetings with Warner Brothers, and if they go to Warner Brothers and say, look, here's the bottom line, uh, you turn this around or no directors in the DGA are going to work with you in the future. They're screwed if that happens. They're, they're, like, they're absolutely completely screwed if that happens. Just about every director in the world is a part of the DGA. I mean, so they'd be really significantly screwed. So I have a feeling we're going to see some sort of not entire, but at least partial turnaround on that. But again, it's so tough to say right now. It is so tough to say. It's just important for us to realize that everything that happens right now is done so within the confines of and the context of a global, worldwide, unprecedented, yet temporary pandemic, the likes of which we've never seen before, especially in, in the context of this industry, right? So we always got to keep that in mind. And, and what will it look like after it's done? Don't know. All we can do is speculate, Andy. All right, next up, Ryan writes, Hey, John and crew, do you think Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins will face professional backlash from fellow actors and directors for their part in Wonder Woman going to streaming? After all, they essentially made a deal with the devil to get these big uh, payouts for, uh, for projected box office revenue, while other directors, actors involved with WB films did not. In sports, players never comment on other players' contracts as everyone is trying to make the most they can. And I don't know if actors feel the same. I Okay, so for those of you who don't understand what it is Ryan is asking, in the midst of all this Warner Brothers stuff, before Warner Brothers announced that all of their 2021 films were going to go to streaming on HBO Max, they had announced that Wonder Woman 84 would be doing it, as well as the Witches, the Anne Hathaway film Witches. The difference was how Warner Brothers dealt with the contracts of the people involved in the 2021 movies versus how they dealt with it with Wonder Woman and the Witches. For, for our intent, for our purposes, let's just talk about Wonder Woman 84. So, Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot, they both have in their contracts bonus structures of money that they could get depending on the box office performance of Wonder Woman 84. Obviously, if Wonder Woman 84 gets played day and date on HBO Max, that significantly hurts the box office potential of Wonder Woman 84, thus hurts the payouts that Patty Jenkins and Gal would get that they contractually negotiated. So, what Warner Brothers did, which I actually think they handled Wonder Woman 84 correctly. I think the way Warner Brothers handled Wonder Woman 84 was actually the right way to deal with it. Wonder, Warner Brothers went to Patty and Gal and said, look, obviously, 
Wonder Woman 84 is not going to make the box office dollars that it could have if we just did a theatrical release. And we made deals with you, and in good faith, you made deals with us that you would get a bonus structure based on box office performance. And now we've just cut out the legs for how good the box office can do. So, to be fair, Patty and Gal, let's operate on an assumption that Wonder Woman 84 would have made $1 billion at the box office. And that's a pretty good estimate. It, it may have made a little bit more. It may have made a little bit less, but I think $1 billion is a really fair estimate for how Wonder Woman 84 would have done if it got a traditional theatrical release. And so they said to Patty and Gal, let's estimate that this movie would have made a billion dollars and let's pay out your bonuses based on a billion dollar box office. That equated to Gal and Patty each getting $10 million for the film. That's what they negotiated. That's what they had agreed upon when they first made the movie. And Warner Brothers just said, okay, let's do this as fair as possible. Let's say it made a billion dollars and we'll base your bonuses off that. And in the end, they got $10 million for it each. That to me was a fair and equitable resolution to that scenario. I don't think any other director. Now, what, what happened then was that Warner Brothers turned around and for all the 2021 films, they treated them completely different. They didn't give them the same deal. They didn't go to Godzilla versus Kong's filmmakers and actors and say, let's estimate how much money. No, no, no. They said, you're going to take this. And they came up with a completely different mathematical formula for how they would be dealt with while they dealt with Wonder Woman and witches in a completely different way. It's important to understand, though, that the Wonder Woman deal was made first, right? It's not like everybody got a crappy deal and then all of a sudden Gal and Patty got sweetheart deals. No, they made the deal first and then everybody else got dealt a, a raw deal. I don't think any of the actors or directors or anybody else in the industry are going to hold that against Patty or Gal. Nor should they, right? I don't, that, that Patty and Gal making those deals had nothing to do with the bad deal that everybody else got. And I think everybody in the industry knows that. That had nothing to do with them. It wasn't their doing. They're not the ones responsible for it. So no, I, it's a good question to ask, Ryan. But for all those reasons and others, I do not think people in the industry are going to, I don't believe Gal or Patty are going to get any blowback from that. They got the deal that they agreed to. It's not their fault that everybody else isn't getting the deal that they agreed to. So that, yeah, there's that. Anyway, great question, man. It's going to be interesting to see how this sorts itself out. All right. The Sorcerer Supreme writes, yay, Rachel is back for Dr. Strange 2. We're going to talk about this on the John Campy show on Monday. Rachel McAdams, is back. It looked like for a while that Rachel McAdams was not going to be back for the next Doctor Strange, but now it is official. She is going to be back, which is great. Rachel McAdams, good Canadian kid, by the way. Grew up just a stone throw away from where I grew up, as a matter of fact. Uh, who do you think is the most wasted big name star in the MCU? I thought Michelle Pfeiffer, Zach Lev uh, Levi, and McAdams were all underused, but Rebecca Hall is my choice. In Iron Man 3, she had such a useless, forgettable role. I don't think her role was useless. Ra by the way, Rebecca Hall is one of my favorite actresses in the business. Rebecca Hall might actually be the most underrated actress in the business as well. A number of years ago, I'm getting sidetracked a little bit here, but she did a uh, Woody Allen film 
called Vicky Cristina Barcelona. And it had Javier Bardem, Scarlett Johansson, Penelope Cruz, and Rebecca Hall. Uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Vicky and Cristina were Scarlett Johansson and, uh, and, uh, and Rebecca Hall. And Rebecca Hall is actually the main character of the movie, really. But when you look up posters for, let, let me look it up here. When you look up posters for uh, Vicky, uh, Christina, uh, Barcelona uh, poster, when you look up posters, even though really the, the main character is actually Rebecca Hall's character. She's actually kind of the main character. Let's bring this up. But when you go and look at the poster, well, she's not even on the poster. Her name isn't even on the top line. Like on the top line, Javier Bardem, Penelope Cruz, Scarlett Johansson. They now, when you go down to the bottom line, Patricia Clarkson, Kevin Dunn, Rebecca Hall, like they just make a Vicky. Her character's name is in the title of the movie. She's not even on the poster. And I get it. This movie. I mean, everybody talked about this movie because the trailers made it clear that Scarlett Johansson, Penelope Cruz, and Javier Bardem, three of the stupidestly most attractive human beings on the face of the earth, have a threesome in the movie. That, I mean, that's basically what the whole... So you would think that Vicky and Christina was Scarlett Johansson and Penelope Cruz, but that's not the case. So all ever, everybody ever talked about when it came to that movie was the hot threesome in it, which I get it. Bring on the filthy. Absolutely. It is awesome scene. But... Uh, Rebecca Hall gets totally overlooked and she's the best part of that movie. And I would argue she's probably the main character of that movie. There's an argument to be made there for sure. But I think Rebecca Hall is gangbusters. She doesn't always do the best stuff, uh, but she is absolutely uh, gangbusters. Actually, what was the name of that other one? Hold on a second. She was just recently in another one. Uh, doctor and the, let me see if I can find this. Uh, let me look up Rebecca Hall. Cause there's this other movie and I'm forgetting the name of the movie itself, but it's got, um, not Chris Evans, Luke Evans. It's got Luke Evans in it. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's that not doctor. It's professor, professor. Uh, Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman and then and the Wonder Woman. It's based on a true story of the guy who actually created uh, the Wonder Woman character and the women in his lives in his in his life. And it's almost like Rebecca Hall was getting a little bit of payback for Vicky Cristina Barcelona because they have a lot of threesome stuff in that movie, too. The movie's actually wonderful. Even without all the hot threesome stuff, the movie itself is really wonderful. I like this movie very much. And if you want a little bit of comic book history about how like the Wonder Woman character came to be, it's actually really fascinating and maybe not really all that you might expect, uh, but it's it's really good stuff. Anyway, getting back to your sorry, I got I told you I was getting sidetracked on Rebecca Hall because Rebecca Hall, again, to me, may be the most underrated actress in the business today, In just in my humble opinion. That being said. You don't change your story because of the actor or actress that you have. The characters are not there to serve the actors. Actors are there to serve the characters. And so 
I I don't I don't know that I believe in wasting an actor. I can, I believe in wasting characters. But Michelle Pfeiffer is amazing. But did they use the character she played in Ant-Man 2? Did they use her character correctly? They did. It doesn't matter who the actress is that's playing it. You don't change the movie and make the character change what you're doing with the character just because of who you got as the actor. The actor is there to serve the character. The character is not there to serve the actor. Right? And so did they do the right things with that character? I believe they did. I always thought as a part of the Warriors three that they could have used Zach Levi a little bit better uh, in, in a little bit more. I, but that's because I thought they could have used the character more, not because it was Zach Levi. And you don't change your movie because of who the actor is. I believe that. But Rachel McAdams. No, I thought Rachel. Listen, the movie was called Dr. Strange. Right? The movie is about Stephen Strange. Rachel McAdams is obviously her character was a very important part in his life, and she they use that character properly. I thought that character was used perfectly. You don't change it just because it's Rachel McAdams. It's Rachel McAdams' job to go in there and play that character to bring it to its fullest potential, and she did. And she did. Um, and you know, the Rebecca Hall character in Iron Man three, I thought that's the character. I would love to see Rebecca Hall do more, obviously in a lot of different things, but I, I don't know that I believe they wasted her character or, or they, that they wasted the performer. I don't feel that they did that. The performer's job is to serve the character and just make the character the best they can as they are written. So that's the key thing to me. Anyway, good question. But again, uh, Dr. Marston and the wonder woman. Go and check it out if you have not. Look up, or Vicky Cristina Barcelona, look up more Rebecca Hall stuff. She's absolutely, I'm so glad you brought her up, Sorcerer Supreme. I'm so glad you brought her up. Not many people often do, man. All right, Brian O'Connor writes, one of three. I'm signing with Warner Media on this one. Had Nolan slash Tenant received the same deal Jenkins slash Wonder Woman 84 did, being billed as a billion dollar film, I guarantee you Nolan would not be upset uh, since he would uh, have made 200 million. That's all he cares about, to be honest. Uh, actually, there's nothing to support that. Actually, there's a lot of evidence that proves you're wrong about that. But let's go on with what you're saying. Uh, Nolan's anger should be aimed at other studios for not supporting theaters the way Warner Brothers had with Tenet. Even with HBO Max, the other studios are just as responsible for Warner's new strategy than anything else. Can't assume anymore theaters will stay open. Uh, Nolan can't. Uh, Nolan can stop crying. Uh, this is a business. You get what you negotiate, not what you deserve. Twenty percent of three hundred sixty million is still a lot of money, but crying that it wasn't twenty percent of a billion is a bad look, considering the type of year most people had in twenty twenty. There's a couple of problems with what you're saying, Brian. There's a couple of significant issues with what you're saying. Number one, you're basing everything you just said on an assumption that has no basis in fact. Your assumption is something that Christopher Nolan never brought up once. Your assumption in your statement is that Christopher Nolan is upset because he didn't get more money. Nowhere in anything Christopher Nolan said was that remotely alluded to. Not to mention Christopher Nolan has all the money in the world. Christopher Nolan has all the money in the world. So that's that's not an issue for him. Also, what you're saying here is completely ignoring that what Christopher Nolan is saying right now is completely consistent with what he has said for years 
about the theater, the theatrical experience, the importance of the theatrical experience. I mean, you go all the way back to his, if you've seen my documentary, Movie Trailers, A Love Story, uh, we tell this story gets told in it that even when The Dark Knight Rises was coming out, Christopher Nolan is so, such a hardcore believer in the theaters and the theatrical experience that he insisted that when the first trailer for Dark Knight Rises comes out, that it not debut online. You remember this? This was a this was a big topic of discussion around you know the movie talk uh, circles. He insisted that the trailer, when that trailer first comes out, it exclusively be in theaters. And there was a lot of talk about that. And then he did another, uh, I can't remember what the next film he did after that, but he did it again. That the first trailer can't debut online. You can put it, on de you can put it online weeks later, but he believes in the theatrical experience so much. He was like, nope, my trailers, we were pushing the theatrical experience. The third thing that, what you're saying kind of ignores is that it isn't just Christopher Nolan. It's all the directors. And when I say all the directors, it's not just the directors who are involved with the WB. It's the entire director's guild of America, all the directors. We just saw Denis Villeneuve, the director of Blade Runner 2049 and, and, uh, uh, passengers and, you know, just one of the best filmmakers and one of the most exciting filmmakers in the world right now, making Dune. We just saw him rip Warner Brothers apart in the opt piece that he wrote for Variety. He said, this company has no love for cinema. Uh, they're, they've, they've blown it. They're terrible. I mean, he, he just basically ripped them apart. And he made made sure to mention in that article that he stands with all the 16 other filmmakers that Warner Brothers decided up and drop their films on HBO Max in 2021 without discussing with anybody. And by the way, Denis Villeneuve also pointed out in that article, you know how Denis Villeneuve found out that his movie Dune, the director of Dune, do you know how he found out that Warner Brothers was going to drop it on HBO Max? In his Twitter feed, in the news, nobody from Warner Brothers had the slightest bit of consideration to even get in touch with the maker of the Dune movie to let him know that that's what they're doing. He found out in the news. He found out in the news. In the midst of the pandemic, one of the other things that Denis Villeneuve points out in his article, it's like, like look, health and safety comes first. And Denis Villeneuve points out in the article, he says, look, I was fully supportive when they took my movie Dune and they delayed it a full year. I was totally in support of that because health, safety, everybody, all that kind of stuff, that comes first. But movies like Dune cannot exist on streaming which is something we've been talking about for a long time. The type of economics and the type of big grand scale epics, that can't be done just for streaming. But the point is, everybody wanted to point their fingers at Christopher Nolan and make him their scapegoat and say, oh, he's just being this. Oh, this is just Christopher Nolan because he's like blah, blah, all this kind of stuff. But it's not. It's all the directors. Now, the DGA is threatening to boycott them, whether they do or not, we'll have to wait and see. But the New York Times pointed out that the DJA, that's all the directors in Hollywood are thinking about boycotting them. 
their production partner, Legendary Pictures, who financed Godzilla, who financed Dune and all that kind of stuff. They're talking about taking Warner Brothers to court. We've got the biggest agency in the business, CEA, that represents a lot of the actors, writers, directors. They are writing these public scathing letters to, to uh, WB. They've basically alienated everybody. They've alienated everybody. It's not just Christopher Nolan. These are the people who are the guardians of the art of filmmaking and what it is and what it represents. And they're all calling the move by Warner Brothers complete bullshit. Now, look, if you want to be on Warner Brothers side, that's cool. You know, we're all going to have our own positions on this. And I take no issue with that. If, if you want to take their side, maybe you're an HBO subscriber. You just want to see the HBO movies at home and all kinds of stuff. I get it. No problem. But don't make up an assumption that has no basis in fact and say, oh, well, Chris, Christopher Warren is only worried about the money he was going to get. That's not said anywhere. Christopher Nolan never once mentioned money. And everything he did talk about is completely consistent with what he's talked about for years. There's no reason to believe otherwise, unless you just want to make up an assumption and then stick to that assumption and then base all of your other you know, conclusions on that one made up assumption, right? That's, that's the dangerous, that's something we all do. And I've been, listen, dude, Brian, I've been guilty of this too, where we come up with an assumption that's not based in fact, and then we draw conclusions based on the unsubstantiated assumption. We've all do it. We've, we've all been guilty of it. But again, it's important to understand that uh, it's not just Christopher Nolan, man. It's like the entire industry. The entire industry. That's one of the reasons why I'm not going to be surprised if we don't find out that at least Warner Brothers at least partially changes directions. We'll see how it all plays out. We will see how it all plays out, though. Anyway, man, thanks for writing in and expressing your thoughts and your point of view. I appreciate that, Brian. All right, next up, Sam writes, you'll likely disagree, but of all the things wrong with Sam Raimi's uh, Spider-Man 3, I didn't mind Topher Grace's Venom. Not exactly what I wanted, but I appreciated the doppelganger approach to Brock and Parker. Also, I love the way he looked. Um, was that Sam? Yes. Uh, it was visually pleasing, and I liked the webbing on his body because uh, you get the sense that the symbiote is gripping on his skin. I also have an out-of-print concept art book that revealed an entirely different third act, really, including uh, I also have an out-of-print concept book revealing, including Sandman's daughter and how Venom blackmails him to help him kill Spidey. It was an interesting read about. Listen, I'm glad you brought that up, um, Sam. Spider-Man 3 was a bad film, but I also think it had a number of things going for it. And I don't think Spider-Man 3 is the absolute train wreck, like say Assassin's Creed. It's not the absolute train wreck that some people make it out to be. Also, one of the most common things that gets talked about in fan circles when discussing Spider-Man 3 is... Well, the reason it was bad is because Sony made him put Venom in it. Well, that's not a legitimate reason to think a movie is bad. If you get told by the studio you have to have a certain character in it, well, then make a good movie with that character in it. There you go. It's just that hard and just that simple. Both at the same time. It's just as ridiculously difficult, but also ridiculously simple. It's like, you got to make a good movie with this character and this character and this character. By the way, we also want you to put this character in it. 
Okay, so now you as a filmmaker, go make a good movie with that character in it. And I didn't think Venom was terrible. Look, there are there are a lot of problems with Spider-Man 3. And some of them are Venom issues. But not everything about Venom in that movie was bad. They did actually did some pretty interesting things, especially at the time when you consider like the, the year that movie came out. The, some of the visual effects they did were actually pretty astonishing. And um, yeah, I, again, I, I so I tend to agree with you. I think Venom wasn't the core problem of Spider-Man 3 was not Venom. And the reason Spider-Man 3 did not turn out so great was not because they Sony, the studio, required Venom to be in it. Lots of studios tell fame require certain characters to be in certain movies to their filmmakers. It's now up to the filmmakers to make a good movie with those characters in it. No different than any other time they make movies. So uh, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Sam, and I tend to agree with you, my friend. All right, next up, uh, Rob Mack writes, hey, John. I haven't watched as much as I would like recently, so I apologize if you've already talked about this, but what did you think about uh, the Supernatural finale? I'm a big fan of Supernatural, and I found it modestly satisfying. Cheers. Well, you know, yeah, we did talk about this, but here's how I felt about the Supernatural finale. I thought it was appropriate. Listen, this was a show that had been on for 15 seasons. In many ways, I agree with a lot of the fans that the second to last episode, the what do they call it? The penultimate episode, the second to last episode really did feel like the series finale. But because this show, because, you know, they bring the whole Chuck thing and Jack thing to a conclusion and, you know, they they blah, they the Winchesters win, you know, they, it, it ended it. And so in many, many ways. That second to last episode felt like a series finale. But because this show was 15 seasons long and because a lot of us have spent half of our lifetimes, a third of our lifetimes watching this show and hanging out with these characters, what they decided to do with the final episode to me felt appropriate. What happens after happily ever after? What happens after the knight slays the dragon? What happens with the Winchesters after the story of Supernatural draws to a conclusion in that second to last episode? Had this show not been a 15-year-long show with so many of us have watched it for so many years of our lives, maybe that's not necessary. But because of the, the longevity of the show, and how so many of us, its fans, became attached to the character. I'll be honest with you. For the last seven seasons, I didn't keep watching the show because of all the deep storylines. I kept watching the show because I loved the characters and I just loved hanging out with Sam and Dean for, for an hour every week, right? And because of the nature of the show in that way, having one final episode that kind of just says, okay, now what happens after heavily, Happily Ever After? What happened after the, the final resolution of the Chuck storyline? What happened then? And they gave it to us. And for a show like Supernatural, I thought it was very appropriate. I would have been totally cool had they ended the show after the events of the second last episode. But uh, the fact that they decided to, to do that one last one, I thought, yep, that was a supernatural ending. That was a good supernatural ending. 
You get to see Bobby in there too, which was great. So I, I liked it, Rob. I did. So thanks for sending that question. All right, next up, HV3 writes, thanks, John, for always doing cool stuff like this. I loved your documentary, by the way. Well, thank you so much, HV3. I appreciate that, man. Thanks for checking out the documentary and thanks for supporting the channel and being here part of our community, dude. I appreciate that. Uh, Pinoy Iger writes, and still no Disney Plus in the Philippines. Dude, though, it's coming. Believe me, it's coming. It'll be there. Uh, they all, they're gonna they're gonna stretch out their Star Plus stuff. You're gonna it's gonna be there. Just be patient a little bit longer. Uh, I know I heard from some of Ann's family about the same thing. My my wife, of course, is is uh, Filipino as well. Um, so hang in there. I think by the end of the year, not this year. I mean, 2021. I think by the end of 2021, you will get some news about Disney Plus proper being in. Uh, uh, being in the Philippines. I hope. I hope. Uh, thanks for writing that in, man. Uh, Chrome Dog writes, one of two. Help me grasp the economics of having new films premiere on streaming. I followed your point on how profitable Disney Plus is and can be, but theaters can make $10 billion in 2022 and then after uh, respecting a three-month theatrical window, still make money um, on streaming. Also, if all big movies go straight to streaming, that'll eat into the $4.6 billion of digital rentals and sales. Who will rent Wonder Woman when they can just get a month of HBO Max? Listen, that... In the midst, if you guys remember a few weeks ago, I did that one big, long video breaking down the economic realities of streaming and why Disney has decided to go all in on streaming with, with Disney Plus and Hulu and ESPN Plus and all that kind of stuff. In the midst of all that, I still believe I, I, the numbers just make me understand I get it. I understand the appeal of what streaming represents to companies like Disney and Warner Brothers and everybody else down the line. I totally get it. Those numbers are big and impressive and fantastic. But even though I get it and I understand it and I can see why they're doing it, I still think the better approach is to have a both and situation. There is nothing, nothing that says you got to pick between, if you're Disney, nothing is telling you you have to pick between theatrical experiences and profit or streaming experiences and profit. You don't have to pick between the two. You can have both. You can have both and. Make content exclusively for streaming like they are. Obi-Wan Kenobi series, um, uh, 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 WandaVision. Do that stuff, yes. But you can still put out Black Widow in theaters as they're doing. I'm surprised that they're doing that. I'm super glad that they are, but I'm surprised. Keep putting out Black Widow in theaters. Keep putting out the Eternals in theaters. Keep putting out Thor, Love and Thunder in theaters. If you're Star Wars, put Patty Jenkins' Rogue Squadron in theaters. Because you get those in theaters, you can make billions in profit in a year. In one year doing theater, you make billions of profit and still benefit from those movies being on Disney Plus just a few short months later. And they get added to your service and a part of your library. And let's face it, 
library is why everybody gets the streaming services. It's not as much for the original content. It's for the library. Library is king. So you put Black Widow in theaters, make a billion dollars. Great. And then you get to put it on Disney Plus and still reap the benefits of it being on Disney Plus as a part of your library. You get both and. It does not have to be either or. It can be both and. Now, I get when you understand the economics and how much money these streaming services can make for these companies in the long run, I get the notion of let's just say, let's just invest now in our streaming service. By putting by bypassing theaters and just putting all these things on streaming now, that will pay off down the line. I understand that thinking, but I still don't think it has to be an either or. I think it can very comfortably and very profitably be a both and. You can make your money in the theaters and then put it right onto your streaming service three months later and profit from it being on your streaming service. All at the same time while also making original content exclusively for your streaming service. What Disney modeled at their big event the other day, to me, was a perfect balance. They announced a bunch of straight-to-Disney Plus series. They announced a couple of straight-to-Disney Plus movie events. They announced one Raya and the Last Dragon movie that would be Disney Plus premium access and theaters on the same day. Just one of those, and that was Raya and the Last Dragon. And then they announced a bunch of movies that they are going to keep in the theatrical model and put out in theaters. It was a perfectly thought out, perfectly balanced approach that Bob Iger and Bob Chapek and the leadership of Disney exhibited. It was done, as Thanos would say, all things in, in perfectly balanced as all things should be. It was a perfectly balanced approach that I think will make them shit tons of money in the long run. Ungodly amounts of money in the long run. Will theater survive to see it? Well, that's, that's, a, that's a whole nother question, my friends. That is a whole nother question about whether, you know, <laughs> the theaters will still be around to do those things. We will have to wait and see. All right, guys, listen, we've been going for an hour and a half and we still have a ton of questions to get through. We still got questions coming from uh, another one from Crone Dog and, and uh, Roberto Suarez, Excited Now, uh, Dookie Shoes and others. So what we're going to do is we're going to do another companion video tomorrow. So uh, this is Saturday's companion video. We're going to do another companion video tomorrow to make sure that we're all caught up on all the backlog questions before we get into the John Campus show on Monday. And uh, that's what we will do then. But for now, guys, that'll do it for this installment of the companion videos. Thank you guys for checking this out and joining us here, whether you're listening in podcast form or watching this on the YouTube channel. And a special thank you to all you guys who did, who did send in those questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, because you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us here on the John Campus Show, thank you guys for your support. Remember guys, do the four main things, please. Take care of yourselves, take care of the people around you, be smart, be safe in any order that you want. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.